Hi, my name is Monica Kretschmer, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Universal Women's Network, Women of Inspiration Awards, and this is the Women of Inspiration Podcast, where we speak with women who lead, inspire, and motivate. These are women who pave the road less travel and inspired others to dream big. Now, today we have a very special guest, um, Kyla Lee, who is a criminal lawyer with Acumen Partners. And you are also a 2019 Woman of Inspiration Indigenous Leader and also one of our 100 Women of Inspiration book contributors. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. And I'm going to apologize to your audience. We're in the middle of like wildfire smoke. So if I cough, it's not COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no COVID in the room, no COVID on Zoom. Uh, and really, you know, we have just when we had our last interview, we were probably just at the start of COVID. And now we're, you know, it's 18 months, we're emerging out of it. And so much has gone on. You've done a lot of stuff in COVID, but we're going to, where I'd like to start, um, Kyla, is when you were 12, did you ever in a million years believe that you would be a criminal lawyer kicking some major butt? Yes but that's because that's what I always wanted to do. And um, so I knew that this was where I would end up. It was just how long it would take me to get there. And um, you know, yeah. So at 12, you knew that you were gonna be a kick butt, kick ass, I'm gonna say lawyer. Where, where did you have that influence? Like, where did that come from? I didn't aspire to be a mediocre lawyer, so <laughs> it was, you know, be really good at it or, or don't do it at all. Um, I don't, you know, it's hard for me to say. My mom says I came out of the womb a lawyer. That's what she always says, because I was always arguing my entire life. Um, but I think the thing that really clinched it for me, and this is going to sound stupid, was I read every Nancy Drew book when I was a kid, like all of them. And Nancy Drew's dad was a lawyer and he always seemed like very smart and competent. And he had the banana yellow Cadillac that he let Nancy drive, which I think if I bought now would look ridiculous. But, um, and I was like, yeah, like a lawyer, that's a good job. So the path to become a lawyer is long. It's something that you have to have a lot of, you have to be completely dedicated. So what was that path for you and as a female? Um, well, I mean, the academic side of it was mostly fine, other than being very expensive. Um, I had uh, to work during law school. By the end of law school, I was working five jobs just so that I could pay my rent, pay my tuition, pay my living expenses, save a little bit of money, um, try not to graduate with so much, so much debt. I still graduated with debt, but at least it was much less compared to my peers who weren't getting um you know help from their parents and things like that um so that was really hard uh and I, at times it was very discouraging to be somebody who 
is working so hard, who has this dream and it's not coming as easily to you as you would like it. And you see people that, you know, they're like, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I decided to go to law school and they have some family member who's a lawyer or some connection and it's all paid for. And it's, that can be really, really discouraging because you feel sort of like you don't belong and like it's harder for you to get to the same place as somewhere else. So that was, that was difficult. And being a woman also is very hard. Women in the legal profession, we enter law school at higher rates than men. There are more women in first year law than there are men. And then by the end of law school, it's usually a little bit more women than men. And entering the profession, it's roughly equal. And then after five years, most of the, you know, equality is gone and we see massive attrition from female members of the legal profession. So it's hard to stick with it. And I'm over nine years now, so. Wow, that, congratulations and sticking with it. And you're right, it, it's like anything, starting a business or venturing down a career path, it's about the support system and the support network that you have. And, you know, having to work while you're going to school, I mean, five jobs, that's a, gotta be a little stressful. Yeah. But did it, but did that actually help with, you know, once you actually got into articling and into the profession, because it's a grind, like it's long days. So like you're used to kicking it, right? Yeah. I mean, it did, it did help through articling because all of a sudden I went from having five jobs to one job. <laughs> That was a lot easier to manage. I'd get up in the morning, I'd go to work. At the end of the work day, I'd go home. And I was like, wow, I got all this spare time. What am I going to do with myself? Um, and, and I think, you know, I always, my parents were so, they really wanted me to have a good work ethic. Like my dad got me my first job when I was 10. I didn't have friends when I was a kid. So I had nothing to do all summer and I'd sit in my room and like read books. And I think he felt sorry for me. <laughs> I enjoyed it. but um, So he was like, do you want a job? And he got me my first job when I was 10. So I've been working since I was 10 years old. So for 25 years and the, you know, the idea of working long hours and doing more than you should be doing, that was just, that was my nature my entire life and so what was the you know you can go into many different areas um, to specialize in law why did you choose criminal law there were two sort of things I was interested in when I went to law school I did my undergrad in First Nation Studies at UBC and I thought I would do Indigenous law but when I started to study it at law school I realized that it was a lot of doing not a lot for, you know, you'd have one client or one case, right? One land claim, one, um, you know, rights argument that would take years and years and years and years and would involve hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work to lead up to like an application in court. And it wouldn't be, you know, it wasn't the thing that excited me about the law, like identifying problems, cross-examining witnesses, making arguments, like all of that sort of very dramatic TV lawyer stuff. So I kind of lost interest in that just because I didn't think that it fit what I want out of my job. And uh, criminal law did because you get, <laughs> you get salacious stories and you get interesting characters and you get to cross-examine witnesses and you get, you know, fun, interesting facts. And it's every day is kind of exciting and interesting that way. 
And so have you always been in the area, of, in that area um, since for the past nine years? Yep, I've been at the same firm since my second year of law school. I had a summer job here and I've stayed here ever since and basically took it over. <laughs> So congratulations, because I know that you're, you know, you're scaling and growing um, the business as well, which is pretty exciting. Um, and we'll go back to that. But I, what I want to really talk about is some of the barriers that you've had to maybe overcome in the nine years, right? I mean, we want to share the stories of women that are succeeding, but I want to be really clear on what are the challenges that we have as women in the industry so that we can make some change. Yep. Well, the biggest one, I think, or at least the one that's bothering me the most right now, <laughs> ask me in a few weeks and it might be different. Um, the biggest one right now is this idea that as a woman in the profession, I need to wait my turn for things. Like People are so mad at me for doing the stuff that I'm doing. They're mad that I'm, you know, like taking over a firm. They're mad that I'm writing two books. They're mad that I'm running to be on a bench or on a committee or do all of these things. They're like, you need to wait your turn. You're too young. Meanwhile, I see male colleagues that are roughly the same level of time at the bar as me. They're not being told that. They're getting the unwavering support of everybody. And it's this perception that people have about women, this subconscious bias against women, that we are less competent. I think also it doesn't help, you know, I look younger than I am. So, you know, I heard a story, uh, the last time I ran for venture, I've run seven times. I have lost seven times <laughs> um, and that's fine. I'm gonna keep doing it until they vote for me. I'm gonna win by attrition. Everybody will vote for me because they're tired of seeing me run. <laughs> um, the, you know, the last time I did it, somebody told me that they were talking with a lawyer, um, somebody not a lawyer. Um, and he was talking about, they were talking about how they both knew me. He said, yeah, you know, she just doesn't know her place. She's only been doing this for three years and she already wants to be a bencher. I was like, I've been doing this for nine years. I wrote two books. I've gone all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. I am on like CBA committees. I do all of these things. And yet the perception that people have about me, I developed an entire area of practice in defending roadside driving prohibitions. The perception people have is that I've only been doing this for three years and I should just wait my turn. It makes me so mad. I'm sorry. Sorry for the rant. I love the rant because that's how it's going to make change. And so can you clarify what being a bencher is? those non-lawyer people they're yeah so a venture is basically like the board of governors for the law society and the law society is the um, regulatory body that oversees lawyers in british columbia so they do the discipline and the credentials and who gets to become a lawyer and who doesn't get to become a lawyer and they make all sorts of rules around that and take all our money <laughs> um, and yeah that's that's what a venture does well, that sounds pretty exciting, but it also sounds like a lot of work. And you're like seven times, I'm not going to give up until I get that spot. Yeah. Yep. I I'll, love be, it. I'll probably be like, like 30 year call still running for venture and people will be like, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> that's well, I think that's, um, it's disheartening to hear Kyla, that people are saying, wait your turn. I mean, everything that you've accomplished 
you have accomplished in such like what takes most people 20 years to complete and you've done it in nine. I mean, it took you what, two weeks? You wrote two books in two weeks during COVID. Yeah, but I didn't have any courts, so I had nothing else to do. I know lots of other people that it takes them years to write just one book, never mind two books in two weeks. So I just, I would really love to really have more of those conversations. And I really want to say thank you for being so brave and courageous for talking about that. Because while people think there's so much progression happening for women, there's lots of bricks that we need to break. And that's one of them. Wait your turn. What is that? I just, I don't mind the rant because I think it is upsetting that a woman that is qualified has earned uh, the spot is not provided the opportunity and that needs to change. Yeah. Well, I wrote a song about it because, you know, that's how you deal with your feelings, right? You turn them into a song. <laughs> so not, and I guess that's maybe another area too. You don't just do law. So maybe share with the viewers uh, and the listeners about all of the other things that you do, because, you know, it's not, you've got such a really eclectic mix of, you know, um, hobbies and, you know, special things that you bring to the table that I think actually only help serve you in the role that you have. Um, well, I taste potato chips in a YouTube series called The Chip Guru, um, where I try different flavors of potato chips from around the world. Um, I sing, I guess, very poorly. <laughs> and I have I have videos on YouTube. You can look them up um, on the Acumen Law YouTube page. Uh, I write opinion columns for various organizations. Um, I'm on the, well, I mean, that's kind of law. I'm on the board of an international BUI Lawyers Association and I'm the CLE director, which means I get to plan cool continuing legal education events all around North America. And one thing that you do, which I completely love, is you take on cases that shouldn't have gone to Supreme Court. <laughs> I, do, I do a YouTube series on cases that should have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada, but didn't. Correct. And so, yes, so what you said, <laughs> because I think that is a, that's really important. It's not in your job description to do it. But yeah. like you said in the very beginning, the reason why I became a lawyer is because I want to make an impact and I want to find solutions. And so if you see something that's not done right, let's bring it to the forefront. And so, you know, how is that received? Um, well, nobody has cited me yet for it. So the law society, the people I was telling you about, you know, they'll monitor the stuff you do, not just this law, but the other stuff. And, and if they think it's inappropriate, then they will get you in trouble. But they have not said anything to me about my uh, YouTube series, which is like in its fifth year or something now. Um, so that's a good sign. <laughs> And I also had Beverly McLaughlin, who was uh, Canada's uh, longest serving chief justice, the longest serving female chief justice of any court in the world, and the first female chief justice of the Supreme Court of Canada appear as a guest on my show, which, you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh my goodness. I met her and I have her book and yes, that is super, super cool. She grew up in Alberta. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she's like so nice and down to earth and has a great sense of humor. And I had to like pick her up from her house in my car. And can you imagine like the terror you're driving the former chief justice of the Supreme Court of Canada in your car. First of all, I was so paranoid about how dirty my car ordinarily is because I have a dog, dog hair and stuff. I was like, I took it to get detailed. I was like, everything was like perfect. And I was driving so carefully, like, please don't let anyone hit me. <laughs> because can you imagine? <laughs> well, that is a unique story. Uh, so when is it out? Did I miss it? Oh yeah, it was out, uh, I think it was February 2019. Okay, the... so before, okay, so you have to actually start putting that out there again because I'd love to watch it. So put it at the top of your feed so I can watch it because I'm a big fan. Okay. And you know, for when we talk about women that are definitely inspiring that have made an impact in the industry, she has definitely made an impact in, in you know, the legal community for sure. So do you aspire to be a judge? Nope. No. Nope, never. Gosh, no. First of all, if you're a judge, there is so much constraint on what you can do. Like you can't speak out about anything political. You can't share an opinion on anything. Like I'm I'm the most opinionated person. I have an opinion on everything. I'm I, right now I've got a show on CBC. Well, it's not a show. It's like a segment on CBC um, every Thursday on um, on the coast with Gloria Macarenko where get a little half hour slot me and a friend of mine give our opinions on the news stories of the week like if i can't say what i'm thinking man that's not mm. i can't be constrained like that i would be the worst judge i'd be in trouble in like five minutes because i'd be just spouting off about everything that i saw that was unjust i'd be striking down laws for no good reason because i thought they were stupid that would be a good reason um yeah i'd be a terrible judge well, I just had to ask because you're very accomplished and you've got big ambitious goals. And so what would be some of those goals for you? I mean, I'd like to go back to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, going once was fun, but I'd like to go a lot. Um, it's just you have to have the right case. You can't win very often if you want to go to the Supreme Court of Canada because you have to have something to take there. Um, so yeah, I would like to go back to the Supreme Court of Canada. I'd like um i'd like one day ideally to be like named queen's council and i'd like to be elected venture <laughs> amazing and so i know that when people are listening to this people can help support you on your journey and i think that you have a team of supporters around you and i think that's really important to you know talk about as well as of course you know that we're huge advocates for um support her and men that champion for women in their networks workplaces and communities so maybe you can talk about um our support hers and how critical it is for a man to champion for women it's so important that men are champions for women because as women would we toot our own horns with all those people women and men in the room who are just like that is not appropriate she shouldn't be talking about herself like that that's that shameless self-promotion it's very tacky i don't believe that i'll shameless self-promote until i'm like fast asleep like i'm literally i'm instagramming while i'm in bed before i go to sleep so that i can get some content out there to ridiculously self-promote like oh, whatever i'm you know i 
I had a painting commissioned of myself because I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a gigantic portrait of yourself one day? And then I was like, I want that. Why don't I get one day? <laughs> and I'm riding a tiger through fire, of course, because if you're going to do it, you're going to do it big. Um, so supporters, they're the types of people who toot your horn for you so that you don't have to just be standing there going, hey, look at me, I'm doing good things. Hey, pay attention over here. They're out there saying, hey, did you see this woman? She is fantastic. And that's so important because people are more likely, as stupid as it is, to listen to the dude who's saying somebody's good than to listen to the woman who's saying, I'm good, I'm qualified, I'm here, I'm ready. Mm, okay, so what I'd love you to sort of, um, you have lots of confidence. Um, you're probably the 10%. I would like to see that number grow a lot more, but you're extremely confident in saying, Hey, look at me, look at what I accomplished. And I don't see that as ego. I see that as paving the way for others to follow. And if they don't know who you are, what you're doing or what you stand for, how are they going to support you? And I think that we need to have that conversation more for women to really be able to it to that next level and make the changes that we need to so if you can share what words of advice would you give for women to give themselves permission to be just the spotlight of their own world and step in i mean unless you have someone and you probably don't because most people don't who's going to constantly toot your horn for you if you don't do it nobody else is going to do it and if you look out there and you look at any successful man, they are doing it and nobody is taking notice because we are so used to it, that we don't see it as shameless self-promotion. We just see it as that's the way it is. So you should do it because everybody else is doing it that isn't a woman. Um, and also you don't need to have confidence. I am deeply insecure and most of the time incredibly shy in person. Zoom is great for this. I can, <laughs> but I'm very shy and insecure and uh, you can fake it. You can literally fake it. Okay, well, that's good to know um, that you don't have to be totally confident, but it does take a little ounce of confidence, Kyla. Like, you know, it's scary putting yourself out there. I mean, look at how, how many episodes I've done, but guess what? I'm the biggest chicken to do the Instagram lives, right? Really? Yeah, I gotta you say, live, I'm just like, live, you do LinkedIn live, you do all the other live. I do all that stuff, but it's just like that live piece. What if I don't have anything to say? And I have lots to say most days, right? Too much, you know, where I feel like I have to stop speaking. But I mean, there's always like some sort of little barrier that we have a little voice inside of us, like imposter syndrome. Like, do you have that at all? Oh yeah, for me, it manifests very differently. Um, a lot of people like imposter syndrome, they'll sit up at night and they'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't fit in, I don't belong. Like that's the sort of classic way for me. I get crushing guilt, like stick to my stomach guilt that I have somehow screwed up something for the people that I'm representing, the people that I work with, that whatever I am doing, I have done it terribly wrong. I have made a huge mistake and I have fucked people over. I'm allowed to swear. I didn't hear a thing. That's good. Um, that's, that's, that's how it manifests for me. And it terrifies me and I get like hot and sick and oh. um, so yeah, I definitely deal with that a lot. Like at least every couple weeks and so what is so relatable is that 
um, a woman like yourself that is so accomplished, that is so, I'm going to say confident in shining and tooting your own horn, um, still has those little, I mean, imposter syndrome. We still have those little bits and pieces that we're like, did we do a good job? So how important is it that we actually recognize the achievements of women? Yeah. I mean, I look, when you go into a bathroom, I mean, this is the before times, but when you used to go into a bathroom at like a really nice restaurant or a bar or something, and there'd be some other woman in there and she was like, oh my God, I love your shoes. Those look so good on you. Look at how they make your legs look like. Did that not fill you with so much more confidence than when a man's like, hey, those are some pretty hot shoes. Like, ew, go away. When a woman says it, you're being recognized by somebody who understands everything that goes into choosing a pair of shoes, putting it on and going out in public in them, which, you know, maybe is a very small decision because we all make it every day, but it's still, are these shoes going to be comfortable enough? Are they going to protect my feet? Where am I going to go? I'm going to be able to wear them for long enough. Is, you know, am I going to look stupid in these? Are people going to criticize my appearance? That one little bit of recognition from another woman goes such a long way. And that's about your shoes. So imagine if it was about something, something substantive, like your accomplishments. Super awesome. Do you remember the time when you were nominated for Woman of Inspiration? Mm -hmm. And how easy was it to accept the recognition? Like the process of filling out all the stuff? Well, yeah. Like, how did it feel to be, you know, like <laughs> to actually get notified and saying, hey, congratulations, you just been nominated as a Woman of Inspiration. How did that feel? That was, that was pretty cool. That was really cool. Yeah. And so there's lots of women that actually think who me, did you ever have that? Um, when I was going through like, you know, all the questions to fill out the like nomination package that we have to complete once we're nominated. Yeah. I'm like, you're asking tough questions and, you know, trying to ask a person to justify why they deserve it after being nominated. And that was hard like that, you know, you're writing it and you're like, I don't know. They're asking, they're looking for something that's more than me. And so when you actually were recognized, how did that feel? That was cool. That was awesome. There was like, I mean, it was the before times as well. So it was in a, a gala and I got to dress up and I bought a new outfit. <laughs> Never have excuses to do that. Um, and there were all these other women there. And we had that, that, um, little nominees only um, cocktail reception beforehand where I got to meet some amazing people that I'm still friends with now, a bunch of them. And um, yeah, I mean, that, it was also terrifying because you're standing in the room with all these people that are way more like accomplished and influential and smart than you are. And you're like, okay, I'm just a lawyer. <laughs> Well, and I think that's really important. And I'm happy that you shared this because every single woman that I've talked to feel the same way. They look at all of some, they, there's always this comparing thing, which I think that we need to stop doing because we've all earned our place. Yeah. And I think the comparing thing too, it also is part of that toxic culture that keeps women from succeeding. It's mm -hmm. that idea that, you know, if there's a board, 
there's one seat on the board for a woman. So we should all compare ourselves to each other to determine who's the best woman for the job rather than going, let's just build the board table. What was it that um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said? That till there are nine, there won't be enough female justices on the Supreme Court until there are nine. Well, and I always remember the um, quote from her that says, you know, women belong where all de decisions are being made. And that's at the board table. Yep. So exactly. it's so true. And so the more that we can empower each other and step into that spotlight and toot our own horns, have others do it for us and claim that space, the more we're going to get there. Yep. So I have, you're super busy. And I'm dying to know what your self-care routine is. Outside of tasting potato chips, by the way, I'd like to know what flavor is the best potato chips. Um. <laughs> the best potato chips they don't make anymore. They were old Dutch rave potato chips. Yeah. They don't make those anymore? They don't. They had extra salt and vinegar. So by the time you were done eating them, like the entire skin on the inside of your mouth was peeling off. It was disgusting. I'm sure they got like pulled out of production because of the harm they were doing. But man, I could power through a bag of those and then cry and like, it was gross. <laughs> but it was delicious. Um, Self-care. I don't really do self-care. I don't know. Uh, every once in a while, if I resolve some trials and I have a little bit of free time in my schedule, I'll go to Disneyland. Um, but obviously not lately. Um, I like to go out and eat really expensive food. I've seen a couple of those posts and it does look like you've had some really great dinners. Um, and I do think it's important to celebrate those successes. So are you consistent with celebrating the successes? No, I just take it when I have an opportunity. So, you know, maybe every couple months there'll be a night where I can go out and do something like that. And then, you know, the fact that I don't, like I don't do any other real social stuff because I'm so busy. I don't, um, and pandemic now, um, I don't do any, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of money. So when it comes, when I do have the opportunity, I always have savings that I can splurge a little with. And so I want to talk about a little bit of like the spare time that you don't have. So what do you do in your spare time? Like, is no. there some project that you might be working on that is maybe not spill the beans on some of the big news? Are you hinting at something? I'm yes, not... I would like you to spill the beans on your newest. Does it? It comes with four walls. Oh well, but that's work though. I bought a building. Well, that's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> yeah, we bought a we bought a building for the office, so we're moving out of this space and moving into a building that is roughly uh, twice the size and. We own it, so we don't have to pay any rent, and um, I get a custom-built office. It's going to be gigantic. Amazing. And so, where where do you see yourself in the next five years? Uh, in my new office. <laughs> um, I'm probably just still doing the same things I'm doing. I, I love what I'm doing. I want to keep it up. I'd like to work less and focus on the fun stuff more. So, you know, ideally have some people I've trained to do what I do, um, working under me um, and me guiding them, like being more of a mentor type 
leader type person than an actual worker person because right now I'm doing like just before we did this I was in a hearing and I'm doing like five a day and it's, it's a lot <laughs> so and I know the um the time that it takes to prep so you're in a hearing and you're doing five hearings but the background work to actually get to the hearing is a couple weeks yeah i mean not for roadside prohibition hearings no because we don't get a couple weeks we get about eight to twelve days but yeah i mean it's a lot of prep to do one hearing and i've got five a day five days a week plus other courts and other things so it's a lot um and i don't that's why i don't have time to go out and do fun stuff but that's okay because this is fun stuff doing yeah. your work if what is that saying if you if you do something that you love then you never work a day in your life hmm. and i think that's so important to talk about as well is that everybody chooses to do something that's going to fill up their bucket that's going to make them feel in their place um, you know, if we would ask you what your work-life balance would be, they would look at you and go, well, you work 90% of the time and you're only 10% play. And that might not be good for someone else, but for you, it's really good. So um, whatever I think that we can do to sort of have this non-judgmental place for women, right? Where whatever, you know, they choose to do that we just embrace that. I'm, I'm dealing with a situation with that right now where I'm, uh, there's somebody that's being very judgmental of me for the amount of time that I spend working and suggesting that certain things that I want to do, I shouldn't be allowed to do because I'm too busy to do them. It's like, I, I know how much time I have. I know my limits. I will let you know when I've reached them but until that point it's not for you to tell me how to live my life and like it's also very frustrating because it, it itself is sexist to say that a woman like me who spends all their time working I don't have children I don't want to have children I don't have a partner I don't want to have a partner like to say that it's unhealthy or it's not a good work-life balance because this is what I want for my life mm -hmm. because nobody would ever tell a mother who works four days a week at, you know, whatever job she wants and spends the rest of her time looking after her kid and all of the <laughs> tons of work that goes into that, they wouldn't say, well, you don't have work-life balance. You're too busy. Maybe you should give one of those things up. Like the absurdity of suggesting that. Nobody would ever do that because that would be obviously sexist. But because I don't fit that stereotype mm. of what a woman should be and what a woman should be doing, then they think that it's not right like the way i'm moving my life is somehow wrong mm -hmm. and that to me is just if i were a man and i were doing the same thing i was doing now nobody would say anything so how are we going to change that i'm going to keep doing what i do and uh having conversations like this because i think it's really important <laughs> right it's we just got to keep keep having the conversations what's right for you is right for you what i do and i just um yeah i just think I'm like you, I work a lot, um, but I enjoy it, right? And it's not that speed for everybody, Yeah. right? I'm most comfortable operating at high speeds. Yeah, if I'm not internally screaming from the amount of things I have on my plate, I'm bored. <laughs> so there's no, there's no middle, there's no happy medium. <laughs> so tell me what sort of, um, so what female role models let's talk about female role models um you know growing up 
you know, to have that influence of, of female role models, who were they for you? I mean, that's hard to say because the people that I had as female role models probably aren't at all like me, like my grandmother. Um, she's, uh, her entire role, her entire life was to get married, have children and become a grandma. And she did it. She did exactly what she wanted. She had the, the everything that she wanted. She had a house, she had her family. We all got together for a big family dinner every Sunday. All the aunts and uncles and cousins had dinner at her house every single Sunday until she wasn't capable of doing it anymore. That was what she wanted. And I always thought, you know, this is great. Like here's an example of somebody who knew what they wanted, who got it, who created this world. Like this was my world, right? Like uh, created this world that supports it. And, you know, she never once said to me, you know, maybe you should have some kids or maybe you should get married or anything like that. Like she always looked at me and said, this is what you want. And I want you to go and have that too. Beautiful. And what about, um, you know, women that sort of inspire you, like what sort of traits of female leaders that do you get your inspiration from? I mean, the ones that don't take shit from nobody, <laughs> like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's great. You know, oh, she's yes. not letting anybody shut her up. And um, I mean, even like uh, uh, in the last uh, presidential debates with um, when Vice President Harris was debating Mike Pence and she was like, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. It's just like, yeah, you are. Yes. Yes, I've been interrupted so many times. Just, I'm speaking. It was great. Love it. And I, I do. I mean, strong leaders um, who know their worth, I think is really important. So how do we encourage the young girls to really, you know, I mean, we're older and we still have barriers for that. So how can we help the young girls? I mean, I have a voice. The biggest piece of advice I always give to people is if you want something, ask for it. Because so many people don't get what they want because they're afraid to ask for it. And as women especially, we're sort of socialized not to ask for what we want. I was recently doing something, um, I can't say what yet, <laughs> it's one of my secret projects. Um, and I needed something done differently at that time and I said would it be possible maybe if we could just change this so that would be more comfortable for me um, but if it's not okay I'm really sorry and I don't want you to think that I'm being like a diva and the woman the wonderful woman who was running the thing <laughs> I'm being very vague here um, the woman who was running the thing uh, said don't worry about being a diva diva was a word invented by men to keep women from saying what they need to succeed. Mm. I was like, that is some straight up wisdom. So if you want something, ask for it. And people generally want to accommodate you. And people don't like saying no. Like socially, we don't like to say no to other people. It's not just women, men too. They don't like to say no. So most people will find a way to give you what you want. And also if you're worried about being perceived as being a diva, that's a sexist term. So don't worry about it. Just go for it. Just do it. Yeah. Let's break that brick ceiling. Smash it. Yes. So it wouldn't be a woman of inspiration uh, podcast, Kyla, if I didn't ask you 
what your definition of a woman of inspiration is. Somebody who never gives up, who knows what they want and does what it takes to get it. Beautiful. Sort of <laughs> so how, um, last words of wisdom for any of our listeners here today, you were chocked full of it. Thank you for your authenticity. Thank you for, you know, speaking your truth. Um, cause that really does help, um, serve other women. So any last words? Um, if you need anything, uh, if you see a woman you want to meet, somebody you want to know or know more about, talk to them. I guarantee you that there is no woman out there who is too busy to give advice and mentorship to another young woman who inspires and admires them. Mm, beautiful. And how can people get a hold of you and check out all of the great things that you're doing? Um, because I have to tell you, you are shaking up the industry. You are able to get messages um, to people and put it into some sort of learning that they can understand and enjoy. It's entertaining actually as well. So <laughs> how can they get a hold of you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at IRP Lawyer. You can find me on Instagram, Kyla Lee Lawyer, TikTok, Kyla Lee Lawyer. Uh, you can go to my website, kylalee.ca, or you could call my 1-866 number, which I just got yesterday, uh, 1-866 for Kyla. <laughs> oh, congratulations <laughs> on the 1-800. Yeah. I see billboards happening. Oh, maybe that might be in the, in the works. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, Kyla, it was really a pleasure to talk with you today and super excited um, for you to be a part of the 100 Women of Inspiration book. And of course, love your leadership. It's so authentic and you are making waves in your industry and inspiring so many other women to do the same, um, whatever that works for them, whatever voice they have to share. So thank you so much for being a part of the Universal Women's Network. And I look forward to the book, having you a piece of the 100 Women of Inspiration book that we're publishing very soon. Um, any any last words? I think we already said that, but I'm going to have you back because I want to hear more about the projects that we have on the go. But okay. um, listeners, I would encourage you to share this podcast with everyone in your network because there's lots of wisdom to be shared here. And um, there's going to be a woman that needs to hear the message to see how we can support her. So thanks very much, everyone.